0: This is Arsecast
1: Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you
0: too, Andrew. Good morning to you. How are you doing today?
1: I'm okay, I think. I'm uh, sort of travelling between okay, not okay, and sort of existing in the middle a bit. Mm. Um you know, for people who aren't aware, you know, some people I know listen to the podcast, but don't read the blog or don't necessarily uh, follow my social media. But uh, last week, my dad died uh, of COVID-19. And it's been a bit of a weird, surreal time, as you might imagine. Um, Mm. Sort of you know we've we've been quite lucky in that we were able to to spend some time with him um when i know that many families have gone through a, a similar situation over the last 12 months and, and not had that comfort but you know it's weird you know you have uh, some irish blood in you don't you um yeah
0: yeah plenty
1: you you know the way we do things here in ireland uh, it's mm-hmm. it's you know when somebody dies we obviously mourn them but we celebrate them as well there's you know the the irish wake is a famous thing and you know you get together and you you talk and you drink pints and you tell stories and and you have this this weird thing where you're laughing your head off in the middle of a really sad situation yeah. but it's part yeah. of helping you cope with the grief and cope with the uh, you know what, what's going on, and and we don't have that. You know, we don't have that at the moment. There are only ten people allowed at the funeral. My daughter, who hasn't been home to Ireland in over a year, couldn't come back and see her granddad. Uh, you know, you you're we're missing all those things which help us through uh, at a difficult time like this. So yeah, yeah, it's it's been odd. But can I just say that? Um, You know, today, after I wrote the blog, and over the last number of weeks, or last week or so anyway, uh, I've had so many lovely messages of, of support and condolences from people, and they really help. You know, they really help each each reply today on Twitter, for example, reading somebody who liked what I wrote or who who offered condolences and and support and emails and all of those things. You know, they they just kind of chip away very, very slowly at at the the sadness, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, I just want people to know I I appreciate them a great deal.
0: Yeah. And I tell you, in the last few days, you wouldn't believe the number of messages I've had from people saying, you know, where's Andrew? Is Andrew okay? <laughs> and it is it is very touching um, when people get in touch and, and when they express their solidarity or commiserations. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's a lovely thing to see that kind of online space used for something so positive.
1: Yeah. The internet can be nice
0: yeah <laughs> who knew yeah who knew no but i mean i guess we knew you know yeah that's something we've experienced certainly but sure. um sometimes it gets forgotten i guess amidst some of the bad stuff
1: it does yeah. it does
0: yeah um, and for anyone who hasn't by the way if you don't normally read the blog I, I strongly recommend that you read andrew's blog today about his dad it's a really lovely tribute and also you know very typical of you it, you take a personal thing and you know apply it to a bigger situation but an important message really about even though it might feel i don't know what's happening the spaceship's taking off next door here apologies but even though it might feel <laughs> what? it's really hard to make a poignant point isn't it when that happens it's um, uh,
1: look it wouldn't be this podcast if it wasn't uh, a reverse true. truck or, or something, i feel like you know?
0: it's really punctured what i was trying to say but even though it may feel like we're kind of over the hill or over the worst of the pandemic you know clearly it's still a very real situation with very real consequences and just got to urge people to take as much care as they possibly can
1: yeah absolutely you know it's it's still out there and it is dangerous and you know um Everyone is susceptible. You know, I've got to give a big shout out to my, my cousin, Adrian, who was just a couple of years older than me and yeah. who a couple of weeks before my dad died, he he also passed away really sadly. And, you know, he wasn't like my dad. Listen, he, he was 84 years of age. He'd had a heart transplant in 1996. He'd beaten off lung cancer. He had a prostate cancer situation going on. You know, he, he was, I guess you could say, vulnerable. To um, you know what what covid nineteen can do to people, and unfortunately that that came to pass. but my cousin, who was a big arsenal fan as well. You know he wasn't, and uh, all I can do is you know I'm not going to like I said in the post I'm not going to preach to anybody, but just be careful, just you know realize that it's still out there. We're heading towards you know some light at the end of the tunnel and everything else, but but don't let your guard down, please, because you know you could save your own life, your your own elderly parent or grandparents' life, somebody's life who you 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 just have no idea. Just a little bit of consideration, um, you know, in, in what we do every day, and just be careful. As much as you can Because, you know, it's not It's not a um, pleasant way to go um, But I, I don't, I don't want to dwell on that I, I just want to talk very quickly About my dad, if I can Because he was yeah. a really... He was a really uh, funny guy, you know, and I know everyone kind of loves their own dad, or well, most people love their own dads, you know. But he was mm. he was really strict when we were young. Myself, and my brother, we, you know, he was quite strict about right. things. You know, he he there was the right way uh, to do things and and the Terry way of doing things, and you know everything else was the wrong way. The Terry way was was the right way, but but he he most certainly. Um, played a big part in my love and my brother's love uh, of football you know there was always a football around I remember going to watch him play for the Bishop Thorpe local team when when I could only have been four or five standing right. on the sidelines he was he was um he started off as a, a striker and moved back to to center half as he got a bit older so uh, I remember going to watch him play football and and sort of um, you know, his, his influence on my love of the game was there right from yeah. the start, you know. I always remember he told me, um, the one thing he told me, the piece of football advice that he gave me was, Work on your wrong foot. Work on your left foot. Mm -hmm. Kick with your left foot as much as possible. Practice, practice, practice with your left foot. Um, I should have paid a bit more attention because it's okay, but it's not great. (laughs) I mean, I'm no Santi Cazorla, let's
0: say. I was going to say, it's a shame he never came into contact with Granit Xhaka when he was a boy. Um, That would have been really helpful.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those situations where, you know, I, I'm obviously gonna miss him hugely. He was like the linchpin of our family and, and, and everything else. But I know that, like, you know, he, he's going to kind of live on through me through my brother through everything that we do uh, as a family Absolutely. and how we how we behave and how we think and how we try and behave anyway and uh, look he he was a funny man and if you're out there and you feel like raising a glass to him he loved to pint a Guinness as as most Irish men do but a gin and tonic ice and a slice of orange uh, was his favorite late night tipple so if you want to raise a glass this evening uh, that's the that's the drink to choose i think great
0: Great yeah. drink. I might do that myself yeah. if I can wait until evening. It might be kind of mid afternoon. Yeah, that's, still fine. In that's fine. That's <laughs>
1: fine.
0: <so> those <laughs> times are variable.
1: Whenever you feel like it. So look, I, I don't want to make this too much about what's happened, but again, just thank you to everybody for for being in touch and and everything else. I I hugely appreciate, and we as a family uh, really appreciate all the, all the support and, and everything else. So you know, with that in mind, James. I kind of need you to hold my hand through this okay. particular episode a little bit because I watched the game on Saturday. Um, the funeral was on Thursday. Um, so I, I kind of watched on Saturday through a little bit of a, a haze, if you like. Mm. It was quite strange, mm. actually, not working during a game. So I was just sitting down and uh, and watching without, without sort of having half an eye on a live blog or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I I don't know where to start on this one. You tell me where to start and we'll go from there and, and hopefully we can get through to the end of part one uh, talking well, about the football.
0: Yes, I think let's start with team selection as uh-huh. we often do um, because there were a couple of interesting ones. I thought particularly, I didn't see Callum Chambers playing right back coming. Um, no, no. Uh, you know, that was quite a sort of swift introduction. I know he's played with the 23s, but for him to go straight into a Premier League game, I thought that was interesting. I mean, I noticed that when Man City played Burnley a few weeks ago, they put Laporte at left back. And I wondered, you know, had Arteta had a look at that and thought, you know, Chambers, he's, mm. he's about a foot taller than Cedric. You know, it gives us something else in the air, potentially. Um I guess also good to just get some minutes into his legs. I mean, as long as you don't, he's kind of unusable. So at some point, you've got to take the plunge.
1: That's true. I mean, what do you think was the rationale behind that team selection? There was no Cedric at all. So I guess he's injured to some extent, maybe a minor injury or something like that. Um, But I mean, was it a case that he's looking to this week with olympiakos with the north london derby with another olympiakos and and resting hector bellerin for those games or cedric for those games or is it a case that you know this was an opportunity that that was Uh, like you say, a way of getting minutes into Chambers' legs and he also kind of fitted the profile for what we needed in a game like this.
0: Yeah, I do think that tactical element was probably a big part of it but there must be a degree to which Arteta's also looking at this next fortnight and knowing he's going to have to juggle a bit, Mm. you know, I mean, it's huge. He's got two games against Olympiacos, he's got the North London Derby against um, Tottenham Hotspur who found some form again in front of goal. I know, very sad news that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I suppose the other big selection that was interesting was Willian. Uh, mm. I, I guess, <laughs> you know, there's a there's degree to which he's looking to capitalise on the slight uptick in William's performances and try and generate some kind of momentum and rhythm to his game. Yeah. Um, but I also hope that was a decision partially made with the idea that, you know, maybe other players are going to be, uh, Playing minutes in against Olympiacos, for example, you know I'm thinking of people like uh, Nicola Pepe, yeah. who came on and was quite effective, and and maybe Emma Smith rowe depending on his injury situation. So, but but it was a strong team, you know. Clearly, this was he had a Bemiang up top, Saka in it, Odegaard, Shaka, Partey, yeah, yeah. Um, Pablo Marie stayed in at centre back, which mm. I thought was. Again, maybe connected to his height or ability in the air, but you know he has been pretty solid generally. Was Gabrielle on the
1: bench? I'm trying I think to think.
0: So I think so um, because I remember thinking, "Oh, it's interesting." I don't think Marie and Louise is a partnership we've seen loads of. You know, but I, yeah. I, I do have the sense that yeah, with the centre backs, it feels board. like a bit of a pick and mix at the moment. You know, I feel like Arteta. There isn't really an established partnership, and he's kind of mixing and matching according yeah, to the opponent.
1: That's kind of interesting, though, because we we had sort of speculated that maybe Louise and Gabriel was a partnership, yeah. and holding and Marie was a partnership. But you know, uh, uh, yeah, I I I think it's interesting to see or to to look at what's happening because you know it's hard to look beyond him playing Louise in the Europa League. Is he thinking mm. of something different for the North London Derby? It's going to be, it's yeah, wow, it's a big week, isn't it? When you try and uh, think it's about what,
0: what's it's what's going week. on, yeah, especially having not won this game, you know that always ramps up the pressure a little bit. Um, but I do feel like with the centre backs, it is a sort of pick and mix scenario. And Art de Rocher actually wrote a really interesting piece about the way Pablo Marie played against Man City, the degree to which he was kind of pushing up and trying to win the ball high, which mm. is not something. Um, The other centre-backs have done so much in other games. I do feel like it's almost like they're detailed for specific tasks, game to game. And uh, although it's quite boring to always compare Arteta to Guardiola, there is a degree to which Man City seems to do that. There's not Mm. really, you know, Diaz and Stones, sure, but they've got other centre-backs there that they rotate in and out. Anyway, it was a strong... Lineup and certainly a lineup that I felt a kickoff was strong enough to win this game.
1: Yeah, and a, a strong start as well. With a yeah, really strong start with an early goal and an early goal that came from um, dun, 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 playing the ball out from the back. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I, I do have to. Uh, I'm loath to obviously, um, but Burnley's pressing was probably as effective. Uh, a press, as I've seen, put upon us for quite mm. some time. I mean, they mm. did it pretty much the whole game. You know, you get periods sometimes where a team presses, or they come out in the second half and they decide to press a bit high. But, but they were at it right from the start. And you know, uh, I, I don't want to credit um, Sean Dyche with too much because you know, I think the idea that just because you put some pressure on means you're going to force a team into a mistake look it happened I know it happened and we'll talk about that in a minute but it's not exactly fucking rocket science is it you know if you no. can if you can uh, get that out of your players yes you might force them into an error uh, but it's not that sophisticated so um, so
0: there's a degree to which like uh, it plays into Arsenal's hands sometimes I mean if they press mm. as they did five minutes into the game and Chaka and Partey get it right and exit you know Partey does well he bursts between a couple of players but Shaka actually plays a first time pass mm. when he's surrounded by three guys in the build up to that goal um, if only he'd done that later in the game but you know it, it enables you to sort of beat that press and suddenly you've potentially got an overload at the other end which is exactly mm. what happened you know William carried the ball away the fact that Odegaard and Saka were out to his right you know I think Burnley didn't quite know what to do about that mm. problem he gives it to Aubameyang and Aubameyang does really well I mean I've seen Nick Pope criticise and I guess if it was your goalie you don't want to see him beaten again at the near post but I think he hits that with no real back lift and it's kind of disguised that shot into the corner yeah. so yeah Maybe he expects him to go to the other corner. I don't know.
1: Maybe. I I, I think I'm, I'd be more inclined to be angry with my defender for getting beaten the way he was beaten. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. You know, the very, body, so, very soft.
1: Yeah. yeah. The body shape was was all wrong there. And look, credit to Aubameyang. It's not the first time in recent weeks, is it, that he's, he's gone that near post route as well. Um, to sort to of add a, del- a little variety to, to his finishing. Yeah, strong finish. Keeper maybe could have done a bit better. Uh, but like you say, I think he was, um, I think the defender was, was more at fault in that for me. And I have to say, I, I really liked Partey's pass to Willian in that move. Um, yeah. you know the little inside pass you've talked about it before haven't we where he just sort of plays it on the inside diagonal and it creates space and, and I think what was interesting as well is that in in the build-up to to the goal there's a moment where he completely ignores Granite Shaka, who's telling him to play it backwards uh, <laughs> <laughs> and goes forward with it instead and and you know we get the goal and we go ahead and it's a good start to the game and I think you know, the regret, the big regret, and there are many from this game from an Arsenal perspective, is that we did not make the most of the dominance that we had in, in that first half uh, until such time as we, we let them back into it. We really should have scored more goals.
0: Yeah, we should. There were some, some good chances. Um Is it Saka who plays the one-two and goes in on goal and sort of puts it one Mm. far post? That's a a very good opportunity. Obviously, Um, there was the one where uh, Aubameyang can't quite sort his feet out. Yeah, with is it a parté pass over the top? Maybe
1: can't can't remember. Uh, details are fuzzy, but yeah, I remember. I remember him kind of trying to get in onto his left foot and and miss kicking wide.
0: Yeah, it's a sort of balance issue, yeah. yeah. And, and I did feel like there were more goals for Arsenal in that um, first period, and you know we didn't we didn't really. It's, it's sort of a classic story of the season, really. But we didn't really impose ourselves on the game as we might have done.
1: It is something we've spoken about more than once, and I know other yeah. people have spoken about it as well. And it's it's not the most um uh, insightful piece of of uh, wisdom to impart but when you are on top in those situations and when margins are tight and i think it's something Arteta spoke about after the game himself wasn't it that you know you have to take the chances that you make the big chances in games because otherwise you know the margins become so tight one error one slip one set piece whatever it might be uh, something that that we are as a team more than capable of 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 doing to ourselves, you know. You just don't give yourself the the room for for making any mistakes, and and one mm. mistake cost us two points.
0: It did, it did, and it was a big, big mm. mistake. Um, Granite Shacker's pass, obviously, cannoning off uh, the frame of Chris Wood and into the net. Mm. Where, how do you apportion blame for this one? Because I've seen some people. Questioning Bern Leno, some saying mm. it's all on Shaka. Where do you stand on it?
1: I'm like pretty much all on Shaka this one because they're doing, <laughs> a, like, I, I'm not to slaughter the guy. Uh, it was a yeah, terrible yeah. mistake. It really was. It was a bad piece of play. He knows it as well as anybody else. But, uh, you know, they're doing what the manager wants them to do. They didn't execute it right, but they're doing what the manager wants them to do. He wants, uh, Mikel Arteta wants and Leno to play that ball to Granit Xhaka in that situation he does that's what they train for you know they must do that routine countless times in training you know that that kind of receive it play it first time out to the to the man in the space you know and beat the press that's what they're about that's what he wants the team to do so I don't really have any issue with the goalkeeper in that situation because you know Mm -hmm. The manager wants his team to play a certain way. That's a key part of it. I think he also made the point afterwards, you know, that that's where the first goal came from was Leno to Partey and so on, so on, so on. So, yeah, he's going to be annoyed uh, if Leno just boots it long. What are you doing? You're booting it towards Burnley's gigantic central defenders who are going to mm-hmm, mop it up. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so I think you know you can say in hindsight. Leno should have got rid of that. And if Leno gets rid of it, we don't concede that goal the way we concede it. But it's not staying true to the fundamentals of, of the way Arteta wants the team to play. So for me, it's on It's on Xhaka. What about you?
0: I'm the same, actually. I, I am the same. I think, you know, this is what Arteta wants his team to do. And he's never going to criticise individuals, I don't think, for adhering mm. to the game plan. And I know people criticise and question the game plan. I appreciate that. But if if Shaka plays the pass he should play, which is the kind of first-time yeah. pass out to Louise. if you actually look at it, that takes three Burnley players out of the game mm. straight away yep. who are trying to make that press. And, you know, that's what Arteta's looking for. That's how we got our goal. Um... It's just a really basic technical error. I mean, when I look at the pass that Shaka had to make. Uh, the player I always think of is Mohamed El Nenny. He's done it so many times this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? That first time pass out to the right back or the right centre half and Arsenal escape. And I mean, he's no master technician necessarily, but he can play that ball. And this is where. Shaka's one-footedness, I guess, has come back to, to bite him because he doesn't really fancy taking it on with his right foot the yeah. first time.
1: Well, you know what, though? I mean, that's. I, I think I've seen Granit Xhaka play that pass with his right foot more than once this season. It's yeah, a,
0: to be fair, that's true. He's
1: yeah. more than capable of it. And actually, some players are one-footed, obviously. But I think the easiest pass to make with your wrong foot is that one when the ball is coming towards you, when there's momentum on the ball and you just need to guide it. Sweep it, yeah. Exactly. Just clip it out to uh, to the man. Uh, the more difficult pass is the one where you take a touch and then you're trying to actually clip it over uh, Chris Wood's um, I was just crazy. It's crazy. It's a, really, really... a
0: very tall man at the best of times. Yeah. I mean, you've got to get a lot of height in it anyway. Yeah. Doesn't get anywhere near it. No. I mean, to what do you. I have to be honest, I had a sort of sneaky hunch. You know, before the game, they were saying, last time Shaka faced Burnley, he was sent off and he's been on this good run of form. And <laughs> I was thinking, he's due something. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it, yeah. The cycle of Shaka, it felt like it was always going to begin again at some point.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is what he does. It is who he is. And that is, you know, what... That is one of the issues we've got to solve going forward, I think, you know. Yeah. There's not much we can do about it this season, really, based on the personnel that we have, but it is who he is. Um it's you can't be surprised yeah, at this point. It's a leopard spots issue, you know? Exactly. Um so look, you know, the thing about it is it's a really bad time to concede. We should have scored more goals and all of a sudden we're going in one one at half time. Nevertheless, there is another 45 minutes to play, 45 minutes to make up for that mistake. And, and I, I just felt a little bit like that mistake took the wind out of our sails a bit, you know, because I thought there was a, a sort of confidence in how we were playing for the most part, you know, until that yeah. happened. Um, Burnley didn't really look threatening at all, did they? I mean, they pressed and sometimes, you know, you you sense an anxiety or or you feel a little bit of anxiety when a team presses you because you're worried about what exactly happened. But, you know, uh, in terms of goal threat, they didn't test Leno, really, did they? They didn't have many shots until then. So it was was a a bad mistake and I think the impact of that mistake on the performance was quite considerable.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think it gave Burnley a foothold in the game it gave them something to defend it gave them a way back um so in that respect i think it was mm. incredibly damaging i think there is a degree to which when you play out from the back there's a degree to which you accept one or two of these are going to happen in a season i just think against this opponent on this occasion mm. it, it really hurt us because it you know did provide them that way back into a game i'm not convinced they, I mean, they've not scored a, a proper goal against us this season, have they? We scored an own goal oh. and this goal.
1: And that's five points.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, you know, we've really shot ourselves in the foot there um, against uh, clearly, I think, an inferior yeah. opponent. That All that said,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Arsenal should still have won this game, probably, based yeah. on what they created in the second half. Sure. So let's
1: talk about the substitution first. I guess the first one puzzled me a little bit in that yeah. Lacazette for Odegar I thought was a strange one given he, he played Lacazette in that number 10 role and I thought Odegar was having quite a decent game
0: yeah I thought that was a bit of a, an odd one I, I mean again you know Smith Rose out at the moment is that a question of looking after Odegaard yeah, so maybe. he can get through the next couple um, I suspect that played its part I, I was also a bit confused about playing Lacazette in that deeper role but minutes or so when he was playing a bit higher on the edge Mm. of the box he had a couple of good involvements I think he was I think it was him who played the 1-2 with Saka which led to the the big penalty shout uh, the penalty award sorry that wasn't a penalty award I think he played Saka and he tucked it back for Pepe to hit the bar but yeah I mean I I did find the substitution slightly strange as I said earlier on I think um, the introduction of Pepe really Added something and brought a new dimension to the Arsenal team. Maybe because Saka wasn't having his best game. No. Maybe, on the right hand side. No, he didn't.
1: He didn't have his best game. I mean, Pepe's a really interesting one in that there was. A, it's almost like a microcosm of of his time at the club. There was a really bad miss. There was an incredible yeah. block. There was a penalty that wasn't given. You know that should have been given. Um, you know the luck deserting him and us at, at, at certain times. So. You know when did he come on? He came on in about about seventy minutes, something like that for for Willie Ann, who you know yeah, um, but let's talk <laughs> pepe um that's a bad miss. that's a really bad miss. the one yeah. where he air kicks
0: yes, I mean it is it's one of those that looks uh it looks bad, and it is bad because it's really i think. It's kind of an archetypal Pepe chance. I mean, I know you think of the ones where he goes through in the right channel, puts it in the far corner, but he's probably scored as many goals for Arsenal doing this as anything else, you know, where he's kind of edge of the six-yard box, drifts into the centre, you know, and, and puts home a, a cross mm. from the left with his side foot. Uh, I'm just watching it again now. It's Tierney, isn't it? He plays yeah. a really nice cross back. And I wonder if Pepe's slightly expecting... The defender to cut it out and he misses it and it maybe comes to he, he sees it slightly late but whatever way yeah. you put it it's a big chance and a bad miss. He
1: doesn't get his he doesn't get his feet right at all, does he? Do you remember
0: uh, last? Was it last season against Sheffield United? He had a really similar one away from home. He, he was he like played a brilliant part in a counter attack and a cross came in from the left, mm. and he thought, "Oh, this is the moment for him to really catch light," and he scuffed it and mm. in very very similar fashion. Um, yeah, that was a bad miss. By that point, though. I believe I'm right in saying in the chronology, he should already have had a penalty.
1: Well, yeah. Um, This is one of those where you're sort of reluctant to make this all about the referees and and what have you. But I cannot believe that that wasn't a penalty. I literally cannot believe that that was not given as a penalty when... when I mean, I'm looking at it again here. It's unbelievable. I'm not going to go down the road of conspiracies and referee bias or any of that kind of stuff, but that is just an abysmal decision. And I know that we can be frustrated about not taking our chances, and I know that we can be frustrated about making a mistake that that um, gave Burnley their goal. I, I get all that. I just can't help but feel really aggrieved about that decision, because, you know, for the most part, Premier League games are decided by very fine margins, for the yeah. most part. And that, I don't know if it's luck not going our way, it's just a wrong decision. It's a completely wrong decision. And look, we have to go on and we have to score the penalty, and we also have to... um you know not do anything stupid again before the end of the Another 90 round. minutes yeah, but course. you know that that really as much as as much as pepe air kicking and as much as uh, peter's blocking the the ball for the second one with his shoulder as much as um saka missing that that opportunity that could have been the difference between one point and three points
0: Of course, and and I'm just watching it back now on a loop, torturing myself, and it is kind of difficult to understand how it's not given... Even
1: Peter Walton thought it was a penalty. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, you
0: can't say any more than that, really. I mean, the the position Mm. of the arm is so clearly to impede either the player's run or the progression of the ball. Yeah. The argument made was proximity, right? That it's it's too close to him, but... I mean, it, you have to have a foul for a player literally stopping a player from progressing by using his hand. I mean, I think we, you do. We, uh, look,
1: the handball laws, uh, as we know, are all over the place, and but we've seen penalties given and goals disallowed for for oh, things which are much less blatant than that. You know, yeah. that's completely clear cut to me. And uh, yeah, I'm really quite annoyed about that decision.
0: Yeah, and I think there have been a few decisions recently that, as Arsenal fans, we've kind of collectively questioned. I think this mm. actually might be the most egregious of them yeah. all. It, it's because it seems so clear cut. You yeah. know, it's not a question of debate or um, subjectivity. It yeah, yeah, really yeah. should just be uh, a penalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look at so, uh, uh, Yeah.
1: And it's one of those where. Like, again, I completely understand the, the perspective of make sure you're not in a position where a decision like that doesn't hurt you as much. Like, don't mm-hmm. shoot yourself in the foot. I get it. Don't uh, miss chances. I absolutely get it. But I think you can still be really pissed off by that, even if you can see that this is a game we should have won um, based on on the way we played in attack and in defense. So, you know... It can be true um, that we didn't make the most of it, but it can also be true that that one decision was potentially something that cost us two points.
0: Absolutely, I, I kind of found myself wondering, you know, can you be unlucky and inadequate? And I think Arsenal I think you were can. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Game.
1: I mean, even even the I uh, know I'm not going down that road uh, of refereeing decisions, but yeah, I think you're I think you're right. You can be unlucky and you can be inadequate. You can you can be the masters of your own misfortune and misfortune can be applied to you by the yeah. vagaries of, of VAR and what is and isn't a penalty and what is and isn't a handball. Um, you know, who is the VAR guy? Kevin Friend. Mm. Fuck that guy.
0: No friend to us. No that's fucking for sure.
1: friend to us. That is for sure. And look, I think it's worth pointing out that, you know, we have burnt Leno to thank for making a very, very good save. Two very good saves, actually. Yeah,
0: um, absolutely.
1: One from Eric Peters and one from, from Chris Wood when he went through. And I think that was really, really poor defending um, by David Louise uh, to, yep. to allow that. I mean, this, this Chris Wood is a guy who... Uh, who makes glaciers look fast, you know, and he was able to get through on goal. Um, So that's not a good reflection on the centre of our defence and the ease with which he was um, able to get through. It's it's a very good save by Burn Leno. Where do you stand on the the other Pepe moment, which was when the referee actually awarded a penalty to us and took out his red card, and obviously that was overturned and, and rightly overturned. I mean, is that... Is that a bad miss from Pepe or, you know, because I'm looking at it, right? And I, I can yeah. see that there is, I can see that there's more of the goal to aim for.
0: Yes, for sure.
1: Right? But my my feeling on this is that when you're, uh, here we go, we're going to talk about wrong foot again. When you're on your wrong foot and you're kind of arriving and you're going to volley the ball, I think your aim is getting it on target. Not necessarily yeah. picking your spot. Whereas if it was on your good foot, you would feel more confident about maybe opening your body up and going to the, the side of the goal which was empty. So from that perspective, I think the fact he got it on target and it was an amazing piece of defending, um, you know, I, I don't I'm not anywhere near as critical about that as I would be for the fresh air shot.
0: No, I don't think you can be. I you know He's unlucky. He makes really good contact with his weak foot. And mm. I, I think you're right. Uh, on that side, he's thinking, look, I've just got to get a clean contact on this. I do think, sort of funnily enough, if he makes less clean contact, he's yeah. probably got a better chance of score. Yeah,
1: maybe so. Like maybe if he so, slightly yeah.
0: slices at it, the near post is relatively unguarded, whereas all the defenders and the keeper are kind mm. of over towards. Um, you know, back the way the cross has come. So, yeah, it, it, you know, he, it's an old football cliche, but he kind of hits it too well in a way. Yeah. Um, I mean, but, you know... We hit the post
1: he, as well, didn't we? Danny Ceballos hit Danny the post.
0: Danny Ceballos, a good drive, yeah, through a crowd. And again... Yes, it hits the post, but we're also maybe a little unfortunate it doesn't take a nick and fly in because there were so many bodies in Mm. the box at that point, you know. And and I thought maybe on the rebound something would come. You know, I think the ball comes out and Shaka gives it to a Bemiang edge of the box and it looks like we might get a shot away and we don't quite. We definitely found something in the Mm. last 15 minutes maybe that we hadn't had for uh, the majority of the second half that will frustrate some people. I do just wonder if that's kind of a function of the way games play out. You know, that there's kind of a natural Mm. trend towards one team sort of bringing the attack to the other in the final period of a game. And um, I don't know, it's it's tricky to analyze. I think, I think losing Odegaard did hurt us. I think it hurt our ability to create and kind of link the midfield and the attack. But by the same token, having, the bodies like Lacazaire that we did in the box in the mm. last 10 minutes created some of that chaos factor that led to some of these chances.
1: Yeah, true, true, true. Nevertheless, though, it's, it's impossible to look at it as anything other than two points dropped. I'm just Definitely, watching bits yeah. of it again here. The Tierney's reaction when Pepe kicks fresh air is. Well, I'm not going to say it's hilarious, um, but he's really pissed off.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I think it was interesting, by the way, that even though Saka didn't have a great game, Arteta decided to keep him on uh, and stick him on that left-hand side where he can combine with Tierney. And actually, Mm. our better chances came from creation down that flank, even though you know it wasn't really Saka's day. Didn't that happen a couple of weeks ago where maybe
1: Saka wasn't having... um, the kind of game that we've come to associate with him in the last few months he was having a quieter game and then popped yeah. up with a goal or something um you know and and that's that's why you leave him on because he he can he can provide and he can produce and and everything yeah. else so uh,
0: yeah i mean listen a hugely frustrating uh uh, afternoon, given, given I think just sort of the paucity of quality of mm. Burnley's team. I know they had chances and Leno made a couple of good saves, but really this is a team that Arsenal should beat. We've taken one point from them yeah. out of six. Very costly.
1: Oh, sure, and like it's not the only example of that this season, you know, no. where where points have been dropped in games where we really should have done better. And I think there's maybe a, a bigger discussion to be had um, in part two, perhaps, about where people might stand on that. Like, is it is it so hardwired into our DNA that we need to, you know, uh, change things? Or, you know, is it a case that if we keep doing this, we'll eventually learn to win games um, mm. rather than drop points like this? So maybe we'll cover that in part two
0: yeah yeah well let's do that let's get okay. part two and get into some questions all right we'll take a quick break
1: and we will be right back with questions and more right after this hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArseBlog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member, on Patreon. And I think we're going to go from there for the first question. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple more or less along the same lines. Uh, Greenkeeper JHB says, I saw that Arsenal have the fourth highest XG difference, which is XG4 versus XG against in the league. This shows that we're certainly moving in the right direction and creating chances i feel there's a lack of clinicalness um and composure among the attackers do you think this can be coached or trained into players or is it qualities players just have to have and paul thompson also says my eyes tell me we look a better team than this time a year ago and that progress is being made the table says differently are my eyes stupid liars
0: yeah, I was going to start with that question too. It's a really good one. I think, I saw a tweet actually this morning from Daniel Zakiri, who works for Telegraph. Uh, and Daniel said, it's the most important thing, or else why do we bother keeping score, but the league table can lie. How else do you explain Man City starting the season as favourites after finishing 18 points behind Liverpool, if not through metrics, underlying performance, etc.? mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because like, certainly the culture in England is very much the table doesn't lie. You know, that's sort of what we... It's sort of one of the founding rules of football analysis, isn't it? Mm. But um, I have to be honest and sort of say that I agree with the question suggesting that we look a much better team, even if it doesn't appear to be reflected in our league position. Um, At which point you go, well... It's sort of inconsequential then that we're better. Yeah. Um, what's the point in being better? But I do think we play better football. I think those XG numbers reflect that to an extent. There was an interesting graphic recently from Tom Werville. I don't know if you would have seen it because it in the middle of last week, looking at kind of the XG difference for Arsenal, going back to, I think, around when Unai Emery was appointed or shortly before he was appointed, and, you know, it's as good now at this point under Michael Tetra as it's been kind of at any point in that journey. Um, mm. There have been big fluctuations along the way. I think we are a better team and it feels like the reason that it's very frustrating at the moment and this season is it doesn't feel like we're getting the rewards that you would associate with that, i.e. wins and points and league position. Mm. Um, but I think the football... That we're playing at both ends of the pitch probably is is better. Um, I don't know. What do you think?
1: Like, uh, what do I think? I I'm sort of more on the side of this is this is the the right way for us, yeah. Than than not. But I, I look at the, the league table and of course you can't help but be concerned and, and that, that period in November, December was was absolutely appalling. I don't necessarily... Look, it's really difficult to convince anyone that's, that's not really representative of what we are or what we want to be But it, because it happened. So it is what it is and it is part of the story of this season and that's something we have to own I do feel that since the Chelsea game there has been a marked improvement in terms of how we play, the way we're trying to play, what we're doing, and how we're doing it. I mean that's what my eyes tell me, and maybe the stats back that up and or, or they don't. The 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 issues that we have about not making the most of dominance are are obvious. The individual errors are obvious. Um so it it's easy to say isn't it if you just didn't make those mistakes we'd be a lot better and that's true but we also have those players who make those mistakes playing on a a regular basis. It's like yeah. remember a few weeks ago I I I expressed concerns to you about David Luiz who's mm. been pretty good in the last few weeks because when he's good he's good and he's experienced and he can he can uh you know he can manage most in-game situations uh, regardless of the opposition, et cetera et etc but but then he has the moments he has the David Louise moment, and regardless of how good he is when he is good, if that self-destruct button is there, then
0: you're That's making what's going to hold you back yeah.
1: It is going to hold you back. And and I, I think something similar lot, uh, is is true of Granit Xhaka, who I think has been really good since the last Burnley game. You know, he's been good, but then he does that. And that's who he is, and that's what he does, and it, it will happen a, a couple of times or a few times a season with him. Mm-hmm. And there's only, at this level... So many players you can have in your squad who 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 make errors like that, and you you either need to be amazing up top to get away with it, or you you go in a different direction and and you try and sort out those problems. But but overall, and, and I know um, people will differ with this, I kind of feel happier with what we're doing right now, and I I see progress in the way we're trying to play, um, but. But as long as you keep making these mistakes, people are going to have doubts.
0: Yeah, I mean... To sort of follow on with another question, David Baratunk on the Discord says, Do you think a lack of consequences for errors are contributing to us just not being good enough? Example, even with all Shakran Lewis bring to the team, a serious organisation cannot allow itself to play players who cost them so much year after year. In real life, if you had a genius employee who every two weeks pooed in the top client's coffee, you would have to get rid no matter what he does. Yeah. Uh, we don't know for sure if either Granit Xhaka or David Luiz have have done that at the training ground. Um, you couldn't rule it out. Let's, yeah. let's <laughs> it, you it out. let's You couldn't rule it out.
1: Look, I, you know, it it is a it, slightly different in that in sport there are mistakes and and everyone's human, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think the wider point about you know, it's not even so much that Louise and and Xhaka are. Are part of the squad per se, it's that we are more reliant on them than we should be.
0: Well, well can I sort of play devil's advocate mm-hmm. and say, uh, in our position, sort of where we are um, as a club and the caliber of player we're able to attract or mm-hmm. not potentially, is our Louise and Shaka a kind of deal with the devil <laughs> that is sort of worth taking? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I I know it's infuriating every 10 games when they do something like this, but are the nine games in between mm, worth the pain?
1: I I know what you mean, but then there will be people who say, we are where we are in part because of those players, that we can't lift ourselves out of the the kind of funk we've got into if we have to keep playing them. You know what I mean? Mm, mm. So it is a difficult one. And and look, on paper and, and probably in fact... Uh when it comes to our central midfield options, Granishak is our second best central midfield player. Mm. That's yeah. kind of the problem, you know? And that's uh, that's something that, that they're gonna have to address.
0: Yeah, I suppose what I mean is Yeah, I, I I is it better to have nine eight out of tens and then one three out of ten? Then, if the alternative is sort of you know ten, six, or seven out of tens, I, I, and I don't yeah. know the answer to that. Uh, but,
1: but what if what if they're not necessarily eight out of tens, they're kind of seven out of tens, and the three out of ten is sort of a five out of ten, you know, maybe the variance yeah. isn't quite as high. Yeah, you know, because I think if you're getting eight out of 10s from your central midfield player, he's creating chances, he's scoring goals and so on. Um, mm. So, yeah, look, it it is a difficult one. But, I mean, I think really we're going to struggle to make the kind of progress we want to make with those guys in the team week in and, and week out, I think. Yeah. You know, that's... Yeah. That's kind of where I am with them. And uh, here's a question from Golden Cannon on Twitter, at Golden Cannon 8. Um, He said, could Arteta's comments about the squad being far, far away from what he wants be a factor in this performance? I thought it was an odd thing to say considering recent form. Could this have impacted the performance subconsciously or otherwise? So whatever else you might say, the manager isn't blind to what is needed or required or certainly what he wants appears to be of a higher standard than what he's able to get from these players now where you stand on how much of that is down to him or or how much of you know silk purse sow's ear and all that kind of stuff you know there's only so much he can get out of certain players but um yeah what 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 do you think um he meant by that in in the context of in the build-up to the game i mean
0: yeah, it's I know other fans of other clubs had a good laugh about those comments. I think uh, they were kind of lumped in with the. Do you remember the infamous David Moyes press conference where he was like, "Manchester United just need to get better at you know preventing goals, creating Scoring, chances, yeah. and finishing, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whatever it was." Yeah, 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 yeah. And there was a degree of that to it, you know. He, he listed. A lot to improve, he said. A lot of quality to add. We need to be more efficient in decision-making, more quicker to open situations up when advantages are there, more control of games, more defensive actions in the opponent's half, fewer giveaways in our own half, more clean sheets, more goals to score, more creativity. Mm. It's a long list. I mean, it is a
1: long list, a substantial one, but, like, would anyone argue? You could argue about whether he's the man to, to make it happen or what. But like you can't really argue with the substance of what he's saying.
0: I I, I don't personally feel it had any impact on the performance against Burnley. I have to say, and and Mm. when he said it, I don't think he framed it as and that means these eleven players have got to go and be replaced by Mm. better ones. Sure, I think it was. I think he sort of was talking more about his responsibility as a coach and extracting more from the players he has. Yes, adding quality too, but just making better decisions on the field, basically. Um, And I think if he's a coach worth his salt, he must believe he can do that. Right. Um, Yeah, uh, it's a really... It's it's sort of what I would expect Arteta to say because as a manager, it kind of... It bats the ball back over the net to an mm. extent, you know, it's kind of saying, Well, you know, we're we're doing okay but we need to it, it kind of is a it's a it's a way of asking for patience, but it's also an indication of high standards, I guess. I mean he clearly feels that we are well short at the moment. And no one would disagree with that, but I think you know, I think his ambition is for Arsenal to be at the top of the yeah. league.
1: Yeah. I mean I'm again it was sort of lost in the the mists of last week and everything else. Um, but did I see some comments um, from Arteta, maybe at his pre-game press conference or whatever, where he said, Anyb- anybody who's happy uh, here with where we are is at the wrong club. Something he's, like that. Yeah, he
0: said, when you look at the league table, it is not acceptable. We're Arsenal Football Club. We should be nowhere near here. If somebody mm. is happy with that, he is in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which uh, Arteta's detractors will listen to and say, you're absolutely right, mate. And that's, you know, you should be out the door as a consequence. Mm. Um, But yes, I guess at least he's not, you know, there was a thing with Emery at times where it kind of felt like whatever happened to us, wherever we were, he would kind of seek to explain or excuse it. Um, Arteta doesn't do that. He's very clear about where his standards, where the bar is for him. Um, But again, how much is that worth if you aren't meeting that bar uh it's, yeah. it's a really tricky 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 one but we are a long way away i personally don't think that impacted on the way we played right. Burnley. what do you think
1: no not really not really i know i also don't mind a manager reminding his players publicly or privately that there are standards expected I don't really have a an issue with that, you know, if it was singled out to one person or one player, then maybe you would say that's not great, but I don't think it's any problem whatsoever to apply a little bit of pressure when points are needed mm-hmm. um and i don't think I don't think the reason we dropped two points to Burnley was because a group of players who are sitting in 10th or whatever it is in the table felt aggrieved that the manager pointed out that that's not good enough. So, yeah.
0: And I'd like to think some of those players are well aware of that already. You would imagine. Would say. You would imagine. Um, on the subject of the manager, by the way, I thought this was a really interesting question from the discord. Clark, the Ritisserie chicken said, a question about Arteta's potential as a manager. Mm. When we hired him, a lot of the reasoning behind it was based on his potential to become a great manager in the future. With a player, you can buy them for their potential, develop them and then sell them on for a profit without them necessarily reaching their potential with us. And it's still a win for the club. With a manager, on the other hand, you don't really get anything for developing them but since you don't get a fee when a bigger club come knocking. Consider that Arteta most likely won't reach peak manager performance for us unless he stays longer than the four to five years a lot of pundits predicted. How are we justifying hiring a manager that is not the finished product?
1: I would say that there was an acceptance that after Wenger left and after it all fell apart under Emery, that we were a club who needed a rebuild, Mm -hmm. like a proper rebuild um and that during that period while some of arteta's teething troubles and and inexperience were showing you know we were able to to put in place or or deal with some of the the squad issues and and everything else i mean i think they took a gamble of course it's a gamble everyone said it was a gamble when you appoint a guy who's never managed a game in his life it is a gamble of course it is you know um i think there's a thing that like You know, critics of Arteta will say, oh, he came in, he was supposed to be the new Guardiola, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, whoever said that? Whoever really said that? You know, that he was going to come in and... Not so plainly. No. Yeah. You know, um, he was a very highly thought of coach. Uh, He did good work at Man City. Uh, I think there's the natural thing when a new manager comes in, like when a new player comes in, a new signing, you want them to do well. So you project perhaps a little bit of... Um, you know, optimism onto the situation. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think the justification for Arsenal will be that if Arteta can continue to make progress and if he can sort out some of the cultural issues that we've had, um, as vague as that might sound, you know, he has gone some way to doing that. There has been an element of ruthlessness with which some players have been dealt with and and some situations at the club have been dealt with. Um, Those are much easier to get people on board with when you're also achieving results, right? But, you know, were people not annoyed, frustrated that everything at Arsenal seemed to be a bit too comfortable? Those Mm -hmm. were certainly complaints that, that I've heard down the years. So, you know, we're we're still in that kind of rebuild phase i think and that's probably why um the justification is that you know we're 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 kind of starting from scratch with a guy who's starting from scratch and and we'll build together along the way i can't say if it's going to be 100% successful or not we've had our ups and downs we've won a trophy we've had a really bad period we seem to have come through it we've done quite well we've got a key week coming up you know Um, there's a lot going on and and how people feel about things will change over the the coming weeks, I'm sure, uh, given the the fixtures that we've got. But yeah, I mean, that's what I can think of. What about you?
0: Yeah, I guess I think that you could have hired an experienced manager to replace Unai. Mm -hmm. um, And there's a degree to which they might have put a sticking plaster on certain issues. But I do think that we... I think as a club and as a squad, we probably had to go through this period of significant transition and high turnover um, and sort of mm. establish as well, reestablish some kind of football principles that we sort of uh, seem to kind of lose any semblance of, uh, you know, under the previous regime. So I, I think it's an interesting point, you know, wh- what is the point in developing a manager? I think that's a really interesting question mm. because... There isn't the financial reward attached to it that you get with developing a player. It takes a good deal of time.
1: Sure, but is that what we're trying to do? You know, develop a manager. I know know what he's saying, but is that what we're trying to do? Are we not trying to develop a football club? Is that not the idea? It's like the, 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 the benefits of Arteta doing a good job are, okay, he might be in demand from another club somewhere down the line. But that's only if he does a good job for us. So we're not trying to develop him for no reason. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, Am I thinking straight yeah. here?
0: No, you are. You are. I just think it's an interesting question of like, let's say Arteta has like a, a things turn around and he has a good next couple of years mm. and he makes Arsenal... I don't know Champions League qualifiers or something like that, and that attracts enough attention for him to be picked up elsewhere i guess I guess the realistic thing is, yeah, we don't receive a big you know payoff for him going elsewhere, but we've brought Champions League money into the club, which is worth a lot more yeah, so you know if the club is successful under his under his management then it will have been worthwhile. I think the point stands that if we're sort of sitting around 10th and he sort of does three years work experience with us and we're still kind of 10th and nothing's really changed, yeah. and then he gets taken away. We might feel a bit like, well, what was all that for? Yeah, but you know? like,
1: who's where is he going if that's what he's done, you know? where? I mean, where realistically is he going? He's not yeah. going upwards, like- I don't think, you know? So... Uh, and I don't think it will be a three-year thing. I mean, I think if we're um, – I, I, I've said this before, like this season to me is a bit of a – not a write-off, but I, I think my I, – I need to see where we are this time next year, next season, to to really uh, – I, I think we need to give it a bit more time.
0: Oh, and uh, listen, so do I. And I think you – know, um, <sighs> I had something to say then, I've forgotten what it was. Um, I, oh, that was it. I think that the only possible conclusion that you can reach out of this conversation is that Arteta, is that Arsenal are very committed to this manager in the long term. Yeah. Um, or at least, in the,
1: at least in the medium term,
0: you know. Yeah, and I think hopefully in the long term. I think they honestly have made this appointment thinking mm. maybe this could be more than five years um, if it goes well. And I think he... I don't get the sense that he's acting like he's in a hurry to get out of the club at all.
1: No, I mean I, I think you're right. I think he's committed to to the job. And I don't just mean the job of winning football matches, which is something he needs to find a way of doing with greater frequency, and you know, I'm pretty sure he would be the first one to admit that, but also to to you know, to try and turn around what was for years and, years and years and years and years and years, a Champions League club. And we need to yeah. get back there. We need to be back there. And I think, you know, he has at least to my mind, anyway, I, I could be wrong, but I feel like he's got ideas of how that should happen
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: in terms of what kind of a squad he wants, how he's going to build it. And, and more and more, we're beginning to see a little bit in in terms of how we want to play to, Win the games and achieve those results and finish back in the top four and hopefully beyond. Like, yeah, that's that's kind of where I am with it, you know. Cool. All right, here is a question from um, Sir Alex Wenger. Sir Alex Wenger <laughs> on uh, Twitter. The the love child of yeah. Arsene and Alex. Whoa. Anyway, he says, uh, "Why do we tend to build from the back when Arteta knows we don't have people capable of doing it?" Why do we always invite unwanted troubles?
0: I don't agree with that. I don't think we. Do, I don't think we have players who can't do it. I think we've seen that they can. Um, you know, the likes of Louis, Marie, the improvement in Rob Holding, Gabrielle's passing. I think has been excellent. Um, I mentioned down any in part 1 you know I think I think we and even Shaka for the majority of the season has been a- able to do it I think it is the if that is his belief and that is his philosophy in inverted commas I think it's the right thing to mm. implement it and I actually think over the course of the season we've seen that it's not always been the case that we've done it 100% of the time you know we have mixed it up but Leno has looked long against certain opponents or on certain days or certain game states yep. um, I think clearly a decision was made about Burnley that as they did at the Emirates they were going to try and press us and rather than run away from that challenge we were going to meet it and try and use it against them by beating the press and hurting them and that is how we got our goal yeah uh, yeah Granit Xhaka made a big individual error, and that's it for me.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, we've played out from the back and scored goals against Man City. You know, yeah. And for me, it's it's if this is the way you want to play, play that way. Add some mm-hmm. variety, and there has been variety at times this season. I think at the Leeds game in particular, away um, before um, before the Pepe sending off. You know, we were going long much more than we had done in previous weeks. So, you know, there are going to be games where we do things slightly differently. But uh, for me, it's like, play that way, get good at it, and then get better players and get even better at it. You know, make that the the foundation of of the way that you play. I mean, you remember, I'm sure everyone remembers, the first two games of the Unai Emery era. We were a little bit unfortunate in that we we played Man City and then we played Chelsea, I think it was. It was. But what was the the plan? Play from the back. Mm -hmm. Play from the back. I wonder if Emery had actually stuck to that principle if things would have gone quite as wrong for him. The problem was he absolutely folded. When we had some troubles with it or teething difficulties or whatever you want to call it, Rather than stick with it and, and improve, he went the other way and we disimproved. So- well, I
0: think w- what's clear under Arteta, to me, at any rate, is that it's not just a case of him telling them, right, guys, we're playing out from the back. Good luck with that. I think he has coached this group to play out from the back. And, you know, Rob Holding is a really good example. I think someone who was always sort of tidy on the ball, but maybe not someone you'd necessarily fancy under huge pressure, but Mm. I think has really developed that aspect of his game. Um, And there are others, there are others too. I mean, it seems like it's a crazy weekend to say it after his huge error, but I think Shaka has improved in that regard. Um, So I think Arteta has coached them on that. And I, I agree, you know, be judged by your own... Principles, And I think mm. at least he is doing that. Um, we had a few questions about Callum Chambers. Uh, Tom Jenkins on Twitter said, what did you make of Chambers' performance? And then Loal on Twitter also said, Callum Chambers' long fu- long-term future, right back, centre back or sold?
1: I Yeah, good question. Um, normally after a game, I would sort of go in and look at the stats and stuff like that. So I haven't really... had a chance to sort of analyze Chambers' performance. I thought he was okay. I thought he did fine, considering he hasn't played. He dealt well enough with... Who's the guy on the left for Burnley? McNeil, who's caused us a few problems in the past. Um, So I thought he was fine. I thought he was absolutely fine. Maybe the Mm. passing wasn't 100%. But he seemed to... He yeah, seemed to he, add he, some presence, you know, defensively. Um, you know, he made some clearances, I think, and, and everything else. So, yeah, I thought he was okay. But as for what his long-term future is, I really don't know. I don't know. It's really hard to to sort of pin down where he should play or if he should play. You know, it's it's a, it's a really strange one because he's got the homegrown thing going for him. And that might be a factor when it comes to squad building for next season because True. you know we we've got some some issues there don't we in terms of how many players who are are homegrown or otherwise um but I don't know it's it's very difficult to say when a guy spent the basically a year out of the game he comes back does okay in one game beyond that i I find it very difficult to make any definitive assessment of of you know who he is now where he's going to play and and how he's going to do it
0: yeah, same. I mean, I'm just looking at the numbers myself in the game. He, he made more clearances than any other defender, w- won the ball more than any other player on the uh, Arsenal team, apart mm. from Granit Xhaka, who's tied with him. He also gave the ball away more than any other player. Um, Did he? 20, 25 times in the game. But, you know, if you make a lot of clearances, uh, I guess that kind of... Does
1: that... Maybe I mean, if you territory. hoof the ball down the, down the line, is that yeah. giving it away... You see, when you say yeah, when, you, when you give the ball away, my, my first thought is like a player passing it to the opposition. That's kind of giving it away. Whereas yeah. if you're clearing under pressure down the line, does that count as a giveaway?
0: I don't know. Up to have it as possession lost. I'd have to ask right. what the precise definition of that is. Um, but fullbacks are always the highest uh, in this Arsenal team on that anyway. Mm. And I think it's partly, you know, Crosses that don't find their men, or just clearances down the line. I think it must contribute because the fullbacks are always top of those particular charts. Um, I thought he was fine. Mm. I thought he was fine. I I, I don't. I, I know we all have really uh, traumatic memories of Callum Chambers at Swansea at the Liberty Stadium mm. getting ripped a new one by, I've forgotten his name, but some South American winger. Oh. Is he Peruvian or something? Don't know. But um, we all have those horrid, scary memories. But I think there are sort of adaptations Arteta has made to the right-back role that mean that Chambers could play it in this system, Mm -hmm. I think. Especially the way, you know, they kind of tuck in and become a third midfielder at times. Probably the best season of his career has been playing in central midfield for Fulham. Yeah, Um, Jefferson Montero. Jefferson Montero, well done. But... uh, yeah, so, and he was actually playing pretty well prior to his injury. You know, uh, it seems a long time ago now, but he'd played at right back, he'd played at centre-half mm. and he'd looked pretty solid. All that said, he does look to me like a player... I mean, having signed Rob Holding to a long-term contract this season, mm. I do kind of look at the Callum Chambers one and think, well, this is a, a player's English, puts a premium on them, you know, we've had to manage without them for 12 months anyway. Yeah. It's not immediately evident where they come back into the team or the squad. I do just think in he- a summer where we're probably going to need to raise money. Yeah. It might be a really obvious way to do that. I think that's fair.
1: I think that's fair. Yeah. Uh,
0: and it's no nothing against him, really. It's not, I think he's a bad player. I think, you know, between him and Rob Holding, there isn't a huge amount. Um, mm. I'm just not sure we need both.
1: mm-hmm Powerful Sammy Who's at Georgios Lambrou Or Lambrou On Twitter Says how frustrating Is Mikel Arteta's Management of Nicolas Pepe he, he finally seems To be performing At a consistent level For the first time In his Arsenal career And yet Arteta Still doesn't give him A consistent run of games He brings him in and out It's so disrupting
0: Yeah Interesting one that I mean So my hope is That Pepe I've thought this is The last couple of times Pepe hasn't played I, I sort of Hope that he's being rested. Like, I, I think he should and will play against Olympia Arcos. Um, On the left? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, if you go with Saka and Pepe wide, you do always have, if it's not working out, the option to flip it, which I think is really useful sometimes. You know, we talked mm. about Saka when he's not at the best game, sometimes you can switch him to the other side and he finds a bit more rhythm if you go with Pepe and Saki you've really I mean theoretically you've got that with Willian of course, but I just I do just think the threat that they offer on either flank makes them a really natural mm. pair of wingers. Um so I think I think that he was not selected for this game partly with that match and maybe even the weekend mm. against Tottenham in mind. I hope. Did you get? Do you have that impression, or do you think this is more about the manager not really trusting the player?
1: Um, it's hard to to say because
0: I think there there there
1: are some trust issues there.
0: Yeah, you know, I know they're too. definitely,
1: and they've been there from the start. Mm-hmm. And it feels like there are moments or there are periods where he he seems to get on top of that. I mean, Pepe seems to, to convince Arteta that he's a guy who can do what he wants him to do. And then when he does it, we do stuff which undermines him. So I'm thinking like, I'm thinking of, you know, how well and how strongly he finished last season. And yeah. then we do the Willian thing. And then I'm thinking of the... Recent period of good form that he had and he left him out of the team. And I know we won some games along the way, so it doesn't
0: become as big an issue. Um, Well, even in the last seven days, mm. it's a bit of a microcosm of that. I mean, he he was very good at Leicester, Mm. scored, you know, uh, won a penalty that day as well. Um, God, that Leicester game
1: seems like a fucking lifetime like that, ago.
0: That was a week ago. Jesus. Uh, I guess particularly mm. for you, it's going to feel a long time. But in this season, seven days is, yeah. is a long gap. Um, and then obviously he's not in the team for the Burnley game. I have to believe it's because he's going to play in the week. I really have to believe that because he does just bring a bit of X factor to this Arsenal attack and, you know, he's making things happen. Yeah, and it's not always... I don't I don't think we should go overboard. You know, he's 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 far from perfect, mm. but there is a danger that he brings that is very useful yeah. to this team.
1: I, I just prefer him to the other option as well. And that's part of it for me too, you know. Um, yeah. I know William nominally got uh, another assist, but it's one of those that's you know, it's far more down to the to the player. Um, who, who finishes the chance. Uh, it's not like he laid it on a plate for Aubameyang. You know what I mean? So
0: No, I mean, it probably simple... owes more to Thomas Partey. Yeah, I agree. You could say.
1: And look, Willian made a contribution. He drove forward. He played a, a, a simple pass out to Aubameyang, who then did the rest, right? So I'm not mm-hmm. taking anything away from Willian's contribution, but you can't tell me that, like, uh, what Willian did there, any half-decent player could do in that circumstance. You know, so... Look, I, if if Willian does well and is more confident and plays a bit better, that's good for us, but personally I would prefer um to see more Pepe in the team ahead of ahead of Willian. Um so look, like you I hope I hope that you know the decision main uh, perhaps was taken as well that that they knew Burnley were going to be uh a bit more of a low block team and uh, that might suit Willian a bit better than someone like Pepe. But I I hope it is a case that he he plays against Olympiacos um,
0: and I'd like to see him against
1: Spurs as well.
0: Yeah, so do I, assuming that Thursday goes uh, well enough. Mm. Uh, what about this question from Chris Henry on Twitter? Who says Shaka's mistake had all the hallmarks of a tired player. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. Do you think Saturday was the perfect time to rest him? He was playing well in a long run of games. Mm. But we all know that run was never going to last. Maybe, maybe,
1: but I just think it's a it's a, a two second lapse in concentration or whatever it is. You know, I, I just wonder if we're overanalyzing it by looking at, you know, was it fatigue? Was it tiredness?
0: Um, and, and hey, there have been other moments in games where Shaka has conceded possession in his own final third. Not quite in his own penalty box, mm. but you remember, I think it was in the first leg against Benfica. Yeah, the it was there was pass. a pass,
1: yeah, right at the end of the first half. So uh, yeah.
0: There was another one, maybe there was one at Leicester last week. And you know I, I'm very I'm pretty forgiving of those errors. I do think, you know, when you're playing out from the back, sometimes that is going to happen mm. and you know you have to accept the risk. I mean, you know, there was a what was the goal we conceded just the other day against Leicester where he gave the ball away on the halfway line and Tielemans was allowed to run in and score in our, in our previous yeah, game. Yeah, I think
1: there was more to that goal than at losing exactly. possession, but but yeah, I see your point.
0: But but you know, th- this this is I think uh, a risk you take mm. with this player um, and uh, we can't be too surprised with it do I think that he might maybe experiencing some fatigue yes maybe more on the even on the mental side than the physical side to be honest just because it is um, mm. such a draining time to be a Premier League footballer but that's probably levelled out across yeah. the leagues I, and across I, the clubs like yeah, I think they're all still the same yeah yeah. They're all
1: tired. And I, you know, it might be a case. Um,. And I don't want to make it sound like that's what the questioner was saying, but it does feel like maybe trying to make a bit of an excuse for Xhaka for something that I think he would say, whether he was knackered or otherwise, he should have dealt with, you know, and would deal with nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100 in that circumstance. I think circumstance. he did say, I think yeah. he
0: came out on Instagram and said uh, something to that effect. Yeah. Uh, what did he say? I'm just going to hold my hands up for their goal and I'm sorry for the mistake that's football, and right now I feel as frustrated as all of you. Mm. So, uh, you know, he knows. Yeah. He knows. And, by the way, just on the subject of the players being tired, I, I like an international tournament quite a lot. I enjoy it generally. I can't... It seems mad to me that some of these players are going to have to go and play a Euros after this season. I mean... What sort of physical condition yeah. are they going to
1: be in? Well, there's a there's also an international break at the end of this month as well, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, so, which is
0: being hotly mm. debated. Yeah, I mean, it does seem absolutely. Yeah, absurd. I mean, the, the the there is no
1: um, consideration or player welfare, really. I, I think yeah. it's going to be a factor for those countries, and it's also going to be a factor for the players and the clubs from which they come, particularly when we get to the start of next season. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens because managers and rightly so will raise concerns about how much is being asked of players.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: But when they have to pick a team to go and, you know, win a game, they want their best players. And generally speaking, the guys who are away with their countries, the internationals are your best players. You want to give them three weeks, four weeks of holiday and then a preseason, and then get them back in and, and build up their match fitness, et cetera, et cetera. These guys might get a couple of weeks, and then bang, you're into preseason again, and bang, you're into the start of the season. And even if we as fans can recognize that the demands being put on players are huge, potentially obscene, at the same time, we don't forgive if we don't get the points in games. So it's yeah. sort of it's a vicious circle in a way. So
0: it is indeed. It is is indeed.
1: Um, I've got one more before we go. I think we should go on. Um, it comes from the discord from, uh, Heine Gunner, who says, considering that London is South of Burnley and Ireland is West. Do you think you heard Lacazette scream a bit different to what Gunnar blog heard when he was tackled by Peters? (laughs) (laughs) It was an extraordinary sound. Did you? Did it come through loud and clear on your TV coverage? It certainly did. It certainly did. I was sitting there thinking, you've made the most of that one.
0: That's for sure. Although, with hindsight, I fully applaud Lacazette's attempts to get Peters sent off. He caused us a lot of trouble in that game. Uh, you know, <laughs> what with the penalty we didn't get, the block that stopped Pepe's shot going in. He nearly scored for about 30 yards yeah. as well. Um, He did get booked for that. That was the challenge he got booked for, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I actually wonder, I mean if there was a bit of cynicism in that because Pepe came on and Pete, to play on the right and Peters was obviously the left back and we all saw you know what Pepe can do we have all know what he can do to a, a mm. left back on a booking you know give him twisted blood and uh, I do wonder if Lacazette thought here we go I'll get this guy in the book and then we'll be
1: ah, yeah it, it just reminded me a bit too much of the you know the the Emile Smith-Rowe incident a few weeks ago when he got sent off and then VAR actually worked for once and, and the right, red card yeah, was rescinded yeah. like the referee yeah, 100% gave the card because of the screams, because he mm-hmm. thought something appalling had happened. Because there's a grown man screaming like, you know, his leg has been shattered in two. Yeah. Um, I thought
0: something really bad had happened, I have to say. I was, I mean, yeah, I was looking
1: thought, at I thought too, and then I was looking I at the he replays. In going, his leg. Yeah, I was looking at the replays going, what? What's what's happened here?
0: I thought he had one of those weird, like, Olivier Giroud leg breaks, you know, like when he did his against Everton, when the ball hit it. Oh, yeah, the ball hit his leg and broke it. I thought it was like, yeah, one of those sort of slight fractures or something. Um, Quite a weird episode. Mm. And, yeah, listen, I I don't love it. I don't love it. Nah, me neither. I wonder if it has more... um, sway in empty stadiums. Do you know what I mean? Like, are they screaming like that all the time, Premier League footballers, but it just doesn't get heard? But well, so wouldn't
1: we hear it? The, wouldn't we hear it anyway? If they're all uh, doing it all the time for every foul, we'd, yeah. we'd hear it. Or is it just because he was closer to the side of the pitch and the pitch side mics? The mics are. But I mean, look, uh, let's remember that... It seemed that very loud. It did, but like early, earlier uh, in the season, do you remember... Um, that incident with David Luiz and and the Wolves guy uh, Jimenez, yeah, do you remember the clash of heads that we all heard? S- yeah, it was sickening, sickening you know. So maybe it is just to do with proximity to the to the side of the pitch. But no, I I wasn't a huge fan of of that uh, because yeah. uh, not least because it gave Sean Dyche something to to complain about a rail
0: about in his post match press conference.
1: Oh, the screaming! The screaming! Guys. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Anyway, if only he could scream. His voice, Fox. His larynx is too destroyed to manage it. He's just jealous. He's jealous of Lacazette's clear, clean voice.
1: Yeah, exactly. If Sean dies, he he can't scream like the Screamer Pillar. Just can't do it. (laughs) Nobody would hear him if he got badly injured on a football pitch. Sounds are too low. Apart from moles underground, (laughs) could possibly hear the vibrations. But anyway, all right. We're going to leave it there. Um, We will do a preview podcast for Patreon members uh, for the Olympiacos game. So look out for that a bit later in the week. Uh, We'll also do, I think we're going to do an Arsecast Extra on Friday because we're playing on Mm -hmm. Thursday night. So we'll have an extra Arsecast Extra for you on Friday. Uh, For now, though, James, thank
0: you very much as always. My pleasure, Andrew. And I'm sure all the listeners join me in just sending the absolute best to you and your family as you go through this horrible period. But great to have you back and a pleasure doing the podcast with you as always.
1: Thanks so much, and it's good to be back. And it is kind of one of those things where you know, you need to balance the distraction of life and work and all of those things and getting back to normal with what's going on. But I've enjoyed doing it. Uh, it It's good to talk to you again. Good to talk to all of you out there. Uh, And again, thank you very, very much indeed for for all your messages and uh, emails and everything else. They mean the world to me and, and to the family. So thanks again. And we will catch you on the next one.
0: Bye bye.